Aloha mai kako. It is so good to be back in the studio with you, our beloved Bravethrough community. Let's explore some of the foundational concepts that ground our work and help us to complicate our understandings of positive peace building, as well as peel back the layers and examine the multidimensionality of today's peace movements. Back in 2016, I was really wanting to find a way to benevolently or positively contribute to uh, the healing of the planet, to address the climate crisis. I was frustrated and felt disempowered and uncertain about how to contribute my energies. And I got together with my dear friend Maxine Burkett, who was at the time an environmental law professor and scholar at the Richardson Law School here at UH Manoa. And we realized that our disciplines really needed to inform one another that by working at the intersection of climate at peace, of stewardship and justice, our contribution to the climate crisis could consist of supporting communities and individuals from the places most impacted by the crisis. These are communities and individuals who have the most powerful solutions, but who are often ignored or considered not part of the conversation. They're often considered as sacrifice zones, they are neglected, and, and this is intolerable. Informing the Institute for Climate and Peace, we aspired and were committed to the idea of moving away from technical solutions and moving towards community source solutions that could remedy some of the injustice of the climate crisis. Both technical and community solutions are necessary, but again, going back to this idea of positive peace building, we saw that we needed to help cultivate a sense of agency. We needed to mobilize actions from all parts. And we needed to give folks, especially young people, a sense of their own capacities to contribute and be solutionary. ICP therefore was established on the premise that communities with low levels of positive peace building experience a natural catastrophe death rate 13 times greater than those with high levels of positive peace. Indeed, those numbers may be higher now. And we feel that cultivating peace locally by supporting place-based and INA-based learning, by supporting community networks and women and indigenous leadership, uh, the resilience, brilliance, resistance, and ingenuity of communities can emerge to teach us all how to move forward. Aloha ke aloha, welcome. I would love for you to share a little bit about the philosophies that drive our work at ICP and tell the audience how ICP is working together in partnership with communities to imagine po all the possibilities for addressing the myriad issues that have emerged as a result of the environmental crises perhaps help our audience to understand and get oriented uh, to the unique intersection of work at the juncture of peace and the climate crisis. ICP at Our Soul is a climate justice organization. We're weaving effective and inclusive processes that build peaceful and climate resilient futures from frontline communities right here in the Pacific Asia region and beyond globally. So what does that mean? For somebody like me, I live here on an island. I work on an island. I'm raising my family here on an island. This is where I rejuvenate. This is where I get my energy from. And this is also the place in which I'm deeply concerned about. Our oceanic community consists geographically of a largely dispersed population. There's nearly 2 million of us spread across 5 million square miles. 
Think about that. Five million square miles in this Moana Nui Akea, the vast Pacific Ocean, with limited Western capital for economic development and lacking the cultural and political realities in constant motion that are a part of decision-making conversations. In fact, most Americans know very little about Hawaii as our homeland and its importance to the United States. This often results in disempowering frontline work like ours, such as being erased from environmental and climate justice opportunities. Even situated of who we are, what the names of these places are called in present day, we can debatedly talk about this one state, three U.S. territories, and three freely associated states where ICP is birthed. Right here, what we refer to as a majority-minority area known for consistent in- and outbound migration due to treaties, acts of Congress, war, trust obligations stemming from past injustices and genocide. So peace, or the lack of it, is organic here at all times. It's constantly in motion with so many lessons for the world to do better by. So what are we doing at ICP? You talked about the threads and the weaving. We have three threads in our strategy. It's information, collaboration, and policy transformation. We're producing innovative interdisciplinary research on climate change impacts on peace building, and conversely, the capacity for peace building processes to create just and enduring solutions to climate change that center the human, the family, and community experience. We're developing programs and policies that facilitate real-world solutions for the general public, as well as decision-makers in public, private, and independent sectors to take action by urgently, well beyond 2030 or 2050 or any goal targets you might hear by, to take action right now. We are training and learning from impacted stakeholders and young leaders. We're evolving what climate impacts look like, how those are defined, and then we're crafting and curating efforts to build peace. We're facilitating difficult dialogues and we're facilitating collaboration through creativity, through joy, through laughter, hope, and definitely a lot of love and a lot of aloha. Mahalo. It is beautiful work and this is an inflection point for all of us. It's an urgent space of hurt, but also one that contains beautiful healing. A lot of that healing happens, I think, through storytelling, changing the story of community and self, helping others to uh, tell the stories of their space, of their land, of their cultures, um, in ways that build empathy and urge us towards reliance on one another and caring and nurturing of one another. I want to talk a little more about this sort of collective energy that we're cultivating. I love that ICP is operated by mothers working alongside core folks of young people, millennials, Gen Z. I think this is true of all of the organizations here. I think that intergenerational duet is important. Young people offer a certain vibrancy and energy. Uh, we are, of course, endeavoring to shape and sometimes reshape worlds that uh, they will inherit. I think that it's important that we think about 
um, are generational duets and cooperation, our impact, and sort of our roles as nurturers as well. Can you all speak about um, what it means to you to be caring for the generations that will follow, as well as including their brilliance in your work? You know, and as young leaders, you know, what does it mean that we truly respect and reverence uh, young people in these peace-building efforts? Okay, Lord, perhaps let's begin with, with you. I love that we're talking about our identities and how those energies show up in the work. We are a collective here of three nonprofit organizations run by young people under the age of 40. I think that that's tremendous. And we are not just tinkering around. We're actually discussing some of the greatest barriers that our generation and generations that have come before us have faced. And we're doing so actively alongside young people. For us at ICP, women and young people are really essential to the lived work experience, right? So much has changed during the pandemic in the way that we even operate in this identity of a career trajectory, right? Especially for those of us who have been trained and mentored in the STEM fields, experiences that we endure as people no longer have to be set aside just as much as we don't have to set aside the experiences of who we are as organizational leaders. They're not separate for our generation. They're actually whole. We welcome our whole selves when we step up to action to do this work. So for example, Mariano really talked about how data can inform the story and help shape a narrative. That's exactly something that we're trying to do at ICP. We want more people to know that our work indicates that eight out of 10 people displaced by climate change globally are women. UNICEF reports that nearly half of the world's children live in 33 countries at high risk from climate change impacts. That's not just important to ICP, but as I listen to my brothers here speak, that's tremendously important to the work of the Peace Studio and also Seeds of Peace, knowing the populations and the participants that they're working with. But did you know that less than 0.2% of global philanthropy goes toward women-led environmental action? We know that peace agreements that involve women are 35% more likely to last at least 15 years. That's what we want. We want these agreements. We want reconciliation. We want reparations that last generations. And so if we do so by peace building in nonprofit organizations, we think through facts and data science, storytelling, this new narrative ensures that we're ready to respond to all of the deniers about the power of this work and who should lead it and who should not be left behind, who should be resourced and how we should be resourced for many, many years to come in all of the beautiful work that we can create. That's beautiful. There are likely innumerable challenges um, that you face in the work that you do and do so well. Would you share with us a little bit more about what are the challenges of peace building, but also the opportunities that you see ahead? And you can use this time also to just speak more about what excites you and what you're looking forward to, especially in terms of you know, collaborative uh, work and all of the intersections that are uh, present here at the table. Maybe Kilaha begin? 
think you're right. As a graduate of this university, I still feel like there's so much that I missed. And we constantly at the Institute for Climate and Peace receive inquiries and asks from students in research-based public universities just like this from all across the U.S. Um, and in the Pacific region looking for something more and looking for a gap to be filled that they don't yet know what that might be. And I think sometimes in our daily work, and, and sometimes it's eight hours, Scott, and, and sometimes feels like 80. Sometimes in that work, I feel that the Institute for Climate and Peace, for example, is not so much an institute. She's still an idea and we're gonna grow with her and we're going to allow her to become exactly what you had described of um, what comes next for artists, what comes next for storytellers. Um, I think we're, we're still describing what can come next for those that are deeply committed about climate action that is still being left to the side and still being abandoned. So what I think that means for us is there's a tremendous opportunity to fill a void that right now is not singing a song in rhythm or in harmony with nearly enough people yet. Scott, your thoughts? Yeah, I definitely resonate with what Kelo is saying. Um, recently, I was explaining to a friend what I do at Seeds, and his response was, wow, that sounds really ambitious. Um, do you really think we're going to achieve peace in our lives? And I think that's kind of a common response to a lot of the work that we do, especially when you put peace in our name. People think world peace and the end of all wars and the end of all violence. And if you put it that way, peace does sound like a very difficult, ambitious goal, um, maybe out of reach to many. But then when I think about these everyday actions to build peace, it doesn't sound quite as difficult. Um, it sounds a little more accessible, I guess you could say. And, you know, peace building can be a mass community organizing and, and changing laws and systemic change, but it can also be much smaller. I love the positive peace building framework because to me it says that peace is daily ongoing work. And, you know, there, I do have a lot of conversations with people that think of peace is this uh, very lofty or almost undefinable term and see it as just the opposite of violence and just see it as, you know, in relation to war and peace that don't really understand what it, what it would mean to be building peace in a, in a daily sense on the ground. But when you think about peace in terms of something that we have to be building every day, um, it creates a sense of, of urgency. You know, we need to be actively, proactively building peace. Thank you. Thank you all. My work is at the Matsunaga Institute for Peace and Conflict Resolution here at the University of Hawaii. We look at peace building in terms of mediation, negotiation, conflict transformation, indigenous peace, personal peace, um, human rights and policy for civil rights, freedom of expression and discrimination, inclusion, protecting democracy, providing support to victims of violence, uh, post-traumatic growth, and much more. And all of these organizations here offer up a series of 
strategies, tools, and offer caring support to individuals in need, but also help us to think about defining beloved community. And I want us to close, perhaps, by um, asking for each of you to share your thoughts with our audience and to speak from your heart about why this work is important to you and whether you feel optimistic about the future of creating a more peaceful and just world. Kelo, how would you begin? I'll start by saying, I think um, in my positionality as an indigenous woman, we have no other option than to be hopeful and to be positive about what is just beyond the horizon and what that voyage looks like that's right within our control is within our grasp and is inherently within all of the practices and skills and qualities and characteristics that we already possess. Well, I want to thank you all for being here. It's been so good to have our Brave Through community get to know you a bit. And um, listeners, each of you has an opportunity and an obligation to contribute and choose to participate right where you are, whatever your resources, whatever your age, um, wherever your community. We hope that you feel enriched and have found some inspiration in the work of these three organizations. Um, we really want you to feel empowered and to reach into your heart and into your community to find the voices that inspire and ignite your sense of wonder and to find spaces of collaboration and engagement that have meaning in your lives and the issues that resonate most deeply for you. And then take one step forward, take action, take our Seeds of Peace workshop or <laughs> um, become involved uh, with either of these three organizations or another organization that you admire. And if you can close by just telling our listeners what should they do? What is one thing they can do today um, and um, tomorrow that will improve their capacities to build peace in their own lives and communities? Just one thing. What's one thing our listeners can do for ICP or with ICP, Kela? We're big proponents of active listening. I think that's something that each person hopefully can take away from how our three organizations are facilitating change to ensure that resources are equitable, relationships are sound, and communities are poised for peace. And it starts within each one of us. And we know that a collective culture of peace is possible with the Institute for Climate and Peace and Seeds of Peace and the Peace Studio helping to steward the way active listening allows us to be right there beside you in that listening. I think with great listening, then we'll really begin to start weaving that work of resiliency. Join me for future conversations with really thoughtful, creative people who are helping us to wash our eyes and nourish a sense of possibility around difficult social challenges. Thank you so much for listening. Please share and stay in the conversation. <laughs>